Hi, I'm Judith Hannon, and I'm here t- today with Nancy Arany. Nancy is my my friend, friend, friend for life, and my mentor, and um, she is the founder of the Chillmark Writing Workshop. Um, she can tell you more about her credentials, um, so I just want to introduce her. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Jude. So, um, that's nice. That mentor part is a little pressure, since you're the one that's written two books, and I've written one. And and a gazillion gazillion articles, plus you're an NPR commentator, plus you travel all over the place giving lectures, so I think... um, All right, I'm going to take a little. little. (laughs) Uh, I should mention one more thing thing is that Nancy and I are going to be co-teaching together for the first time up at Kripalu. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But first, Nancy, why don't you give us a little spiel about what you've discovered about writing and why you do what you do and what it is that you do. Well, what I have been doing for quite some time, right from the very beginning, except for the very first workshop, is making it safe so people can write the truth. And what I have found is when people feel safe, they go deep. And if they go deep and they're not judged and they're not um, worried about grades and they're not competing with each other and they all get their nourishment. I mean, I tell everybody, I don't teach writing, I teach gushing because I really feel, especially in my own experience, I really need validation Immediately, I need somebody to say, oh, my God, that was fabulous, and then I'll do anything. And so I learned that when people hear the good stuff about their writing first, that they they just take more chances. They go wild, and they start to tell the truth. And when you're in a group, and you're usually judged, and you're usually frowned upon, and you're afraid to write the truth, and you've been carrying the secret forever, and all of a sudden, for the first time, you write this stuff, and people have uh, just have a look on their faces with awe and, and respect. And then the comments are, I don't know how you did it. I loved when you said, I have one rule, and that is when someone finishes writing, we tell them what we loved. Not a lot of our lives have that kind of response. Usually we tell people what's wrong. So knowing, as soon as they know that they're going to hear the good stuff, they take chances. And when they take chances, the writing gets very powerful and they, I know because in the very beginning when I didn't have that rule and I didn't know about safety and I didn't know how to facilitate a group, they tore each other apart and people competed with each Mm -hmm. other and people got, what I saw was their shoulders went up, their faces got kind of scrunched and the writing, they got constricted. I saw their whole bodies get constricted and the writing got generic. It got very uninteresting and I did that for the very first workshop and then I thought, oh my God, I know what I did wrong. And so the next group that came in, I said, I learned something. Creativity requires safety. You will be safe in here. And I meant safety about the criticism, but in actuality, it was really about being safe to be who you are. So what I found in the very first workshop that I did was that people were competing with each other. They were judging each other. They were tearing each other apart. And what I looked at was these faces that were so constricted and their shoulders were, were scrunched and, and the writing got generic. It was very uninteresting. 
So I almost quit because it was the first time I had ever done it. And so then I put another ad in the paper and I got another new group. And when they gathered, I said, listen, I've only done this once. And I learned something really vital. And that is that creativity requires safety. You will be safe here. And what I meant when I said safe, I meant we're going to tell you the good stuff. And I said, I have one rule. And that is when you finish reading, we will tell you what we love. But actually, it turned out that it was also about being safe to tell the truth. And the, the story that I've heard in the 30 years that I've been doing this go from, well, I'm not, not even, they, they, they're huge and people have enormous wounds and they write them and sometimes it's secrets they've carried their whole lives. And what happens is that I literally see people's faces get beautiful and younger and they dance out of here. I mean, I know what happens Physic- physiologically. I know they are unburdening. They are letting the stuff out of their bodies. I mean, I don't have the studies. I know James Penny Baker did stuff about what abuse and what writing, narrative writing, telling the truth has done. He has like statistics. I don't, but I know intuitively you get this stuff out of your pancreas. You get it out of your heart. You get it out of your liver. You don't have to carry it anymore. It's weighty. And I always say to them, don't worry, you're unloading. More stuff is coming. You don't have to worry about being so empty. People are walking around <laughs> around and they look normal. Everybody looks fine. You see them on the street. They're smiling. Their hair is good. But inside there's a little person in there that got hurt. And writing it down on the page, I say, get your rage on the page. Just get that story out of you. And it just, it just is great relief and healing. I know it is. So when I uh, talk, because I do well, I learned from you, so I didn't have to go through those first few workshops when I didn't know what safety was, so I appreciate that, although I certainly was not confident when I began teaching. And part of it is kind of this responsibility that you're holding these people's selves um, in a mm-hmm. way that, um, that, you could, that you could so easily wound. And so when I talk to people about the process of writing and what writing can do, I'll say many of the same things that you do that it, and talk about what you can reach and, and the healing properties of it. And then people always say, oh, you mean like therapy. And I don't mean like therapy. I think therapy is a, is a different process that requires a, a different um, – therapy is, way, is, is not rage on the page, right? It's, therapy it's is looking at something and, and seeing – yeah. And seeing how you can change it. So I, I, I mean, for me, I think that the, it's specific to writing and and showing people how um, the strengths in their writing and reinforcing that so that they can get better and better at their writing. The the better writer you are, the the deeper you're going to get because you have all of this. Yeah, first of all, confidence and love, but you also start to have this. this um, disability that starts to emerge where you can express yourself even better and better. I mean, and you have people who come back to your workshops year after year. You start to get insights about yourself. I think everybody has an innate wisdom. And when you get it on the page, when you start, I mean, I see so many people say, oh my God, I hadn't even thought of that in years. I didn't even know I knew that. And when, 
when the stuff starts pouring out, then they make the connection. I sometimes I say, connect the emotional dots. When did that begin? How did that happen? Why is it you can't eat liver? Oh, hello. Did she make you sit there until two o'clock in the morning and you threw up and she made you, you know, whatever. I say, when they say, is it therapy? I say, no, it's therapeutic to write the truth. Right. To get this stuff out. Mm -hmm. So no. And also when sometimes when somebody finishes reading and someone asks a personal question, you know, my, I Mm -hmm. have learned immediately to say, no, no, that's for later. This is not shrinkage. This is writing. You talk about the writing. Thank you for sharing. And so they, we get right back on track and talk about the writing and and the, you know, the other stuff happens. It just happens. It evolves. Right. So I want to talk a little bit about the, what we're doing at the Kripalu. So from June 19th to the 24th, um, we are going to be up at Kripalu as part of a, um, a five-day session on narrative medicine that is going to include speakers and panelists in the morning and then you and I teaching in the afternoon, which is going to be a hoot. We don't really know exactly how we're going to do it, but <laughs> we're going to do it. So I just <laughs> want to... Yeah. I just want to give my little spiel about narrative medicine and then um, and then have you kind of react to it. So the work that I do, which is kind of a subset in a way of what you do, um, is, well, it's based on my book, The Right Prescription, which takes the same methodology that you use and apply it specifically towards physical and mental illness. Now, that's not to say that most of the people who come to to your group will be writing about more or less <laughs> very many of the same things. Um, but one of the reasons why I wrote that book and why I have these workshops that are specifically about that is because the field of narrative medicine is lodged in academia. And I think it's terrific. I think getting doctors to listen closely and uh, understand patient stories, to take the time to get to know them and the, the larger context of their lives, I think is really important. But I think in a way, patient narratives have been relegated um, to being not as important or not as um, not, not considered as important Relevant. from a literary relevant yeah or even they're not elevated on the same literary um, level in a way so I want um, either the field of narrative medicine to incorporate patient narratives more or to kind of develop this answer or adjunct field of narrative healing which is I think what you've been doing for the last 30 years um, because like I went to this conference at Columbia on narrative uh, medicine. It was a weekend long workshop and it was, it was really, really interesting. And I got a lot of good stuff out of it, but every single, there wasn't one patient story that it was told by the patient. It was either told by the, um, the doctor or a filmmaker who is stepping back and watching something happening or the professor or the, you know, there's, there's no, there was no direct voice from the patient. So, um, so I think those voices are really important. When I wrote Motherhood Exaggerated, my first book, I got so many people coming up to me telling, wanting to tell me their story because I, 
I gave them permission. By writing my story, I gave them permission to tell theirs. And I see that in your workshop all the time. You know, you've got the, there's a bunch of us who keep coming year after year. And then there's some, the, the new people and, it only takes them a day kind of to follow the example or even just one exercise to realize that, um, that this is a place where they can do that. And, and we get each other's voices going that way. So that's my rant. I think permission. Yeah, no, the rant is the permission's the key word. Um, and because I have my own sorrow, like everyone else, as soon as I mm-hmm. tell any of my stories and I'm vulnerable, not the expert, not the preacher, not the teacher, but I'm willing to be them, and they look at me and it's like, wow, she's crying? Oh, my God, this happened, mm-hmm. the same thing happened to me. Even though our details are different, we're talking about vulnerability. And what is more gorgeous in writing, as far as I'm concerned, than vulnerability the the narrator we mm-hmm. love the narrator we want to know the narrator we want to say oh yeah you're me even though your details are different even though what happened to you is different you have a broken heart too hi me too that's all all of us really want you know i haven't i, I probably shouldn't do this but and i won't mention names but i have a new doctor i'm not I'm actually going to try to get my old one back and and I, she's like, I just felt like she wasn't present. And I'm sitting there and I'm telling her everything and I'm telling her everything. I started crying about the death of my child. And she looked up for the first time. It was like, hello. Mm-hmm. She finally was a person. And it's almost as if we have these roles and the roles are these detached. I'm a doctor. I'm an expert. I can only deal with your physicality and your symptoms. And here is a human being just wanting to be heard. So the whole idea of telling your story and having somebody on the other end who's receiving it, because it isn't just a physical problem. It stems from the broken heart. I swear it does. It just gets, you know, and it can get healed by the healed heart. So that's where I'm coming from. That's my rant, and I'm sticking to it. Well, I also think, like, one of the things, that that you do before people read is that you don't allow any disclaimers, you know, nothing that 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 says, well, I'm going to read this, but you probably don't want to hear it because it's not very good. Yep. And yep. and so getting people not, not to do that, and also another, you know, when they stop doing that, that's a sign that that you know progress has been made. But also when people stop apologizing when they cry, they'll. Yeah, I was well, actually. You know how I feel about that. I know. I was at an an event um, the other night for the Children's Museum of Manhattan, and I, I uh, helped to run a program there for homeless mothers, and we do writing with them. And one of the mothers that had been in the program years ago was speaking. This was at a fundraiser. And she started crying in the middle, and she started to apologize, and then, because she just couldn't speak, and then everybody started clapping. And every time she had to stop to cry, everybody started cl- clapping just to give her support and it was just it was just so beautiful yeah it was just oh, so beautiful so because uh, you know yeah i mean you shouldn't you shouldn't have to apologize because well, you, you cry so terrified. You, you know culturally we're so terrified of grief and of sorrow and of display of emotions so you know i yeah I or pain or pain of any sort pain oh pain, pain. in our culture um illness is viewed as a failure and 
death is viewed as the ultimate failure. It is the weirdest as opposed mm-hmm. to it's part of a cycle. This is life. So sometimes mm-hmm. I, I do, um, I teach in the uh, uh, elementary school in sixth grade, and I'll never forget this group. Oh, and, I, and I usually do the exact same assignments as I do with the grownups. And I came into this group, and I said, so here's the thing. Next year, you'll be in seventh grade. And what happens in seventh grade just about breaks my heart because you'll stop crying because you're going to be cool. Everyone's going to be cool, especially you boys. You're going to be cool, and you're never going to cry again until you're like 92. And then I just, you've got to keep crying. You've got to stay in touch with your broken heart. You've got to stay in touch with your feelings. I want you to laugh. I want you to celebrate. I want you to scream for joy, and I want you to be angry. All of the feelings everything run the gamut but please don't stop crying so this kid read his piece and um and he wrote about you probably remember this dude because i tell it to the class sometimes he he wrote about being in a soccer game and it was a muddy field and he fell and he really hurt his groin and he said and i you know everybody i was crying and everybody was laughing at me and he wrote this sweet little piece but in, in reading it he's teared up and he put his yeah. head on his books he was t- so embarrassed and completely quiet in the room and I didn't say anything and this little girl sixth grade she goes oh Todd that was so beautiful and he looked up with his little eyeballs and he looked around like whoa whoa this is cool and he came back up for air and 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 then this other little one raises her hand and she says Mrs. Aaron um I did this um report on tears and um it turns out that there are toxins in tears, and so it's really good to cry. And so if you cry, you'll never get sick. <laughs> and you know what? There are toxins. And it really is yeah, important yeah, to no. cry. I, I, I cheerlead when people cry. And when they apologize, mm-hmm. I say, no, in my group, you apologize when you don't cry. I don't usually get the laugh out of that that I expect, but... <laughs> I'll laugh for you, Nance. So, Thank you, So Ed. what's really... In- <laughs> What's really interesting to me about the the writing thing is like, so if telling your story is so important, why not just just speak it? What like what's the difference? And I find like just what you said, like when this boy Todd was, wrote his story, he was my guess is like most of the the people that I have in my groups, and what I see in your group is, is people write, and their faces are pretty expressionless. They're writing. You know they're they're serious and they're but you know you really have no mm-hmm. idea from their faces what they're writing about, and it's only when they read it back that they see yep. what's they, down they there on the page and feel it. Yes, yes. Right, and well, and I so I think writing that's you. I, well, I heard somewhere that that you you hear from a different part of your brain. So writing it is this, uh, maybe it's left brain, the writing part, and maybe hearing is the right right brain. I don't know. The, the more creative one is linear, maybe. I, I don't know for sure, factually. But but people are amazed when they read out loud and they start crying. And they, they don't even realize what yeah. they wrote because it's a natural thing to get the thing out on the page. And they also don't consider, if, if they feel safe, that someone's going to be hearing this. So they're just writing. They're doing what they're mm-hmm. told, and they're just writing the story. And then when they read it, they find out their own selves what they wrote about. 
Yeah, uh, I just find it fascinating. Like, like you can't it's fool the brain that way because it because it is. Yeah, it's really. I I just always kind of marvel at it. So, um, uh, so I think we're going to wrap up. And let, do you, is there anything else you want to say? I'm going to do another plug for Kapalu before we get off. Why don't you do a little thing well, about I'm glad you said if people want to take your workshop? And oh, okay, okay. If I if you want to come take the workshop, it's. T- filmmarkwritingworkshop.com. It's C-H-I-L-M-A-R-K. I have a website, even though I'm a Luddite. And um, and I'm only doing three this summer I, because I have a grandchild. So I really want to spend, I want to be available every minute that I can. So you wait, dude. When you have a grandchild, you'll never work again. So, um, Hopefully, I I won't, I'm going to be waiting morning. a while. <laughs> no, you never know about that. I'm uh, working on it. I'm working on it. So I have one on the eighteenth to the twenty first and August first. And every everybody at all ages and all levels of writing talent You just have to have a heart. Right. Right. And so for people who don't know, Chilmark is in Martha's Vineyard off of the coast of Massachusetts. Um, and oh, people right. come from all over the country to do this in four days and it's Fabulous. Um, for, so one more plug for, for mornings. For mornings, that's true. Um, so one more plug for Kapalu. Yes. So Kapalu so uh, is... Uh, 19th to the 24th? Yes. When did you think it was? The 19th to the 21st. No, I'm, I'm sure I wrote... <laughs> Dude, I'm so bad. <laughs> I'm such a naughty girl. Um, no, I've got it. Got it. <laughs> so if you go to the Kupalu so website... Did you name the other people? Um, so the other people, uh, Danny Shapiro is going to be there for one night. Um, oh, I didn't bring all my information with me. Charlie Your Barber, rabbi, who's at Yale. My rabbi guy, Rabbi... David Ingber. Uh, Lisa Weiner, who put the whole thing together. Um, Oh, who's who's the healer guy? You know his name. Um, anyway, Rob Spillman from Tin House Magazine. Oh, I'm so bad. It's well, just a very, a website. very eclectic, diverse group, and everybody's got a different gift, except Judy and I have the same gift, right. except she's thinner. And um, <laughs> I know that that way. Oh, Dr. Dr. Suzanne. Dr. Suzanne. Dan Coven, who's the writer in residence at Mass General. Um, oh, good girl. Good girl. And, oh, Nellie Herman, who's with the Columbia Program in Narrative Medicine. Um, I wish I could remember and the name Paolo, of Kripalu. Oh, by the um, way, if you've never heard, for, for those of you who don't know Kripalu, it's in Lenox, Mass. Kripalu has the most amazingly delicious, healthy food in the entire world. The place is filled with 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 really good energy. It's a beautiful, beautiful environment. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Jillian Pransky, who's a yoga instructor. So there, we are going to incorporate some movement, some you know, some spirituality into things. Um, <laughs> so I think it's it's going to be spiritual. So it's going to be great. And so I think that kind of wraps it up, Nance. Okay, babe. Shalom. Or shalom. Namaste. See you later. Bye, honey. <laughs> Bye. Bye.